0: Welcome back to Money Clip. This is episode four. Your host Raymond Brown and David Evans. How's it going, David? Hey, what's up, Ray? Another day, another chance to talk
1: about money with some some excited listeners. So I'm excited. Let's get to
0: it. All right. So today we're going to be talking about doing your due diligence prior to making your first investment.
1: Yes, and this is something that is probably the most underutilized under talked about topic in all of investing whether that be stock market angel investing real estate cars shoes bitcoin whatever it is you invest in due diligence is always overlooked so with with that being said and something i completely agree with um talk walk me through your due diligence process because angel investing already is such a foreign concept to so many of our listeners, including myself, so I'll be taking notes while you're talking. Um, what, are the, what are some of the do's, some of the don'ts, some of the things that make you excited, some of the things that may have you hold on to some of your capital, maybe not invest in a company? Well, what does that look like for an angel investor such as yourself?
0: Yeah, sure, David. So what I like to do is find out who the key players are. I don't about key players. So It's going to be the CEO. It's going to be the co-founder It's going to be the CTO and the CFO. So for the listeners that aren't really sure uh, what the the positions are defined as, so your CEO is going to be your chief executive officer. This person usually is going to be the one making the the big decisions and has usually the most ownership or equity in the company. And then a joint founder, um, someone also who has some say in the company, but probably not as much as the CEO. And then a CTO is your chief technology officer. This one is going to be in charge, your most senior leader, when it comes to identifying uh, technical um, requirements or what the tech should be uh, be able to do. And then you have your CFO, Chief Financial Officer. This one is going to be your senior leader when it comes to your financial affairs.
1: Okay, okay. And when, when you're evaluating what I call the C-suite, right? So all those C's you just named, right? CEO, CSO, COO, CTO. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you're evaluating the C-suite, Do you weight their importance based on the importance of the company or are any of those positions enough to get you either excited enough about a company to invest or enough to turn you off to the point where it's like, you know, even if it is great, this probably isn't a good investment fit for me long term?
0: Yeah, sure. You know, so when I'm going through my due diligence process, uh, I like to um, use the platform, whether the platform be seedinvest.com. Uh, WeFunder.com, Republic.co, or even StartEngine, they give you an, a brief overview of what their work history is and what their job is supposed to be for that particular business. Um, and during that process, I'll also visit the LinkedIn profiles. Um, in the LinkedIn profiles, it usually gives you a good understanding as to all their previous work history. And granted, all these positions are very, very um, serious in a sense that it can determine the success or the failure of the business, but you kind of want to find that, that sweet spot. And what I mean by that is if you have a CEO who has a proven track record of, you know, successful mergers or successful acquisitions, or even previous IPOs, you understand that he understands the business, right? Uh, And everyone else that's in his team, they're going to be able to, Uh, be able to execute based off the leadership of the CEO. Now, there might be some cases to where your CEO might be a serial CEO, and that, to me, could be a red flag. Um, And what you want to do, and what I mean by serial, means that they have five or six or seven startups, and all of them have failed, and they're just trying to get it right. Now, it doesn't mean they won't eventually be successful, but that's not someone I'm willing to take a bet on that's already had five or six failures, in the early angel investing series. Okay. That makes sense. So
1: what is your kind of, uh, if you will walk with me for a second, like I said, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning this as as much as you're talking about it. So, uh, when when you're going through and evaluating a company, all right. So you, you have right now you have companies that you own and then you probably have a lot of companies you passed on. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So with the companies that, that made the jump from you, you know, going over doing your due diligence and getting you to that buy stage where you're like, all right, I'm investing. What does that look like? What does that look What What needs to happen for it to go from something that's interesting to you to something that now you're, you're putting your own capital up? Right. Sure.
0: So once I've fully used uh, LinkedIn and I've also used the crowdfunding platforms, I like to visit their Facebook, their Twitter and their Instagram and then also Google, and finally, Crunchbase. So I'm sure everyone are familiar with Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. They're pretty much your social network uh, networking sites. And they can kind of give you an idea as to you know, how many people are aware uh, of that particular business. Um, it doesn't necessarily guarantee the success of the business because they might have 10,000 or 30,000 or 40,000 followers. Just to give you an example, uh, just recently, there was a company... Founded by an African-American woman that um, had the ability or technology to create autonomous driving, autonomous vehicle driving technology. And it was uh, acquired by Amazon for $1.2 billion. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, I was really happy to hear that, you know, especially in this day and age. Um, but one thing that I did notice is that her particular, I think it was either Instagram or Twitter, it only had maybe less than 1,000 or 2,000 followers. But that that's, that's even better yeah like, I like her even more now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it wasn't it wasn't really a factor, you know, but uh, so that's that's definitely something um, definitely something that I, I consider um, and then also so prime example for that business, it works out so well because if you know the listeners aren't aware right now, autonomous vehicle, uh, tech, autonomous driving, artificial intelligence, robotics. Uh, and telehealth are, you know, huge right now. And everyone's trying to be the first one. You know, you have Tesla doing their own thing. You have Google with Waymo doing their own thing. And now you have Amazon acquiring uh, that particular business. I can't remember the name exactly, but uh, I'm pretty sure if you Google acquisition by Amazon for 1.2 billion, you'll, you'll get a list of information for that. Uh, so the fact that if a business uh, not only has great leadership or great I want to say is that in this case a starting four or a starting five like the bulls um, yes, back back in the day uh then I want to also make sure that whatever it is they're trying to accomplish fits the current market or their current enterprise and i'm going tell 'm going tell you why it's so important um for those particular uh aspects to be to be relevant and I say that because perfect example would be Skype and Zoom. Skype was, you know, before their time, and uh, I think eventually was acquired by uh, Microsoft, yeah. but but when it comes to Zoom, Skype was basically doing the same thing Zoom was doing, or Zoom was doing the same thing that Skype was doing, but the, the, the time in which people were aware of the product and advances we were in technology, Zoom got the biggest upper hand um, when it came to uh, this current environment that we live in during with COVID-19. And that's just a smack in the face. Yeah. You know, so it's it's not just about the founder, it's not just about the technology, and it's not just about the current environment. You have to find the sweet spot for that particular environment, that particular technology, and that particular round of funding with that with that evaluation or valuation you're looking for. You know, because I don't think if Uber started if Uber would have started right now, Meaning, like it wouldn't have worked. Uber would have been like, "Oh, we can't really get anyone to get in cars because everyone's a scared of COVID 19 But right. Uber started over nine to ten years ago, and it was able to get some traction before COVID nineteen, and everyone was able to, if they were a previous owner, they were able to cash out six min six months after the IPO, and greet billions of dollars. And they're still they're still trying to stay afloat now. You know, I think. With the uh, acquisition of uh, Postmates and their delivery service, that's kind of keeping them afloat. But if they would have, like I said before, if Uber would have tried to do it now, it wouldn't have worked.
1: Nope, timing is everything, especially in the. Uh, in a book you recommended that I also like, Peter Thiel's uh one, Zero to One," um, he talks about like all the companies he invested in that, <clears throat> that didn't make it. And their, their business model was solid. It just there wasn't an audience for what they were providing yet. So when you're investing in the private markets, I've definitely found it to be just from talking to you that it's as much about the product as it is about the timing of the product. You know what I mean? Imagine if Instagram came out before iPhones had had great cameras. You know, if Instagram came out when the iPhone first came out, that wouldn't have worked. So... It, it is it's it all kind of goes hand in hand, so to speak. so and I think that's kind of what you're speaking on. And what is your process in uh, determining when something is lining up? Do you kind of just uh, what is it is it public news that you're looking for is it more on the private sector? are you just looking for different types of funding goals to be accomplished with the company to make sure that they have the liquidity and solvency to make it uh, long term or what are what are the things that you're looking for? for that final push before you click the buy button.
0: Right. Right. So uh, another thing is that I want to also include is the education piece and the certifications. And what I've noticed um, from experience is that businesses that have people from like uh, Stanford or Yale or Harvard uh, and uh, institutions like that, they seem to get funding fairly easily, fairly easy. It doesn't mean that other people that are from different schools, they're not going to be successful. I'm not saying that at all. But what's pumped up in the media and what's pumped up when you look, uh, when you try to Google these things or institutions, I mean, people that go to these institutions and venture capitalists are like, hey, you know, we want to give you our money, you know, and we believe in them. But that's why I think crowdfunding is so important because it gives the underrepresented community an opportunity for people in the community to help support them, you know. Just recently, we had several, you know, uh, African-Americans be able to raise over a million dollars for the first time in, like, crowdfunding history, you know.
1: And, when, you know when you're saying crowdfunding, just, just for a second, I hate to cut you off. Sure. Uh, when you're saying crowdfunding, are, are we talking about, you know, excuse my ignorance. Are we talking about, like, GoFundMe as crowdfunding? What are you talking about when you're saying crowdfunding, just for our listeners? And right, me. So- and me. It's me too, listeners. I don't know about this stuff either.
0: Right, so I mean, you you can kind of say you know crowdfunding does fall in into that that category, but that's that's not really necessarily looking for a return. You know they also use the word crowdfunding for uh startups so the crowdfunding platforms that support crowdfunding it's even a regulation um so a lot of times when you're trying to figure out how to invest, they have certain regulations for that particular round, it could be. Uh, a regulation crowdfunding round, or it could be a regulation A or, you know, regulation B, C, D, E, F, right? Um, So, but the platforms that I've mentioned, you know, Republic.co, WeFunder, Seed, Invest, StartEngine, they are the entities that support crowdfunding, meaning the crowd, the people, the people of the community that are not venture capitalists, that are somewhat uh, angel investors, uh, early stage investors, that, want to put money into early stage companies as a crowd. And uh, I don't want to confuse anyone, but another term they use when people come together for a particular investment is a syndicate. And we'll get later on in the uh, podcast, uh, I'll go into detail about how that really works. Uh, But the crowdfunding basically means people of the community investing money uh, in a particular round of funding to get a return in the later future. If the company, like I said before, is involved with a merger, acquisition, direct listing, or an IPO. Okay, that makes sense. All right, now, so just
1: for our listeners and myself, I'm being a little selfish here with these questions. But um, so just just so I'm, I'm completely understanding what you're putting down, the crowdfunding is pretty much just the title of a company's ability to raise... Uh, certified funds from investors. We're not talking hey. about we're not talking about Venmo or, or PayPal or something like that. Where people are just sending you money. We're talking about certified investment. And I'm not talking. Th- I'm not referring to like you know over, over a quarter million or anything like that. Just people who have gone onto the platforms you've talked about and invested in these companies. Is that correct?
0: Right. So you're investing uh, through a particular round that has been approved through the SEC, Security Exchange Commission, who deal with. Who deals with uh, the government entity that deals with uh, equity uh, in a company? Okay, sure. yep, makes sense. I'm following you there. Really cool. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I answered all your questions because uh, I know it was kind of like a a breakdown of several questions in one. But did I get just about yes. all your answer questions? Okay. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, man. So
1: the the the, the one thing that's interesting is um, how, what would you say? And I think this is important for listeners to to know. What would you say is uh, the amount of companies that you pass on versus the amount of companies you invest with. What well, what would you say that ratio is?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, that's a that's a very, very good question. And, you know, like I said, you know, it, it I think will be different for everyone, uh, because, you know, in the earlier series of our our episodes, you'll hear how I talk about like creating a plan. Right. And that plan is gonna be based off of that particular individual. You know, so their current financial status. You know, their net worth, you know, how much are they able to really um, put in a company and not be afraid uh, to lose that amount of money? Because, you know, angel investing, as I said before, is very risky, uh, but with you know, high risk becomes high return. But I would say for myself, uh, I would have to go through every platform and I would base my findings, create a list of maybe the top 10 companies. After I find the top 10 companies, I start listing out the pros and cons and product market fit. And after I do that, I come to maybe about six companies. After I have those six companies, Mm -hmm. I figure out what days those six companies, their funding round closes. And after I figure out the, the time in which they do close, I figure out exactly how much is the minimum funding requirement, meaning how much is it? the minimum required of me to invest and where they stand uh, reaching that minimum funding goal and maximum funding goal. Um, and then I, once I do that, I might break the list down even smaller to three companies. So I'm still considering all six, but three of them are definitely getting my money relatively soon. And okay. those three, yeah, and, and those three uh, will be maybe uh, 14 days to 16 days out Um, Before closing, they have excellent product market fit. The CEO um, definitely understands and is passionate and fully devoted and dedicated to the business that they're doing um, and they're passionate about. And uh, they are um, on the trajectory that they need to be to be successful.
1: I like that. I like that you have kind of. Pretty much a checklist of, of what it requires to get your money. So if you're listening audience to that, I mean. Just because you're an investor doesn't mean you have to invest. You know, you can sit and just sit on your hands for months on a time. Uh, Me and Ray talk about this, actually. Our biggest advantage of being retail investors is there's no called strikes. It's a baseball term, meaning you can let pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch come. You don't have to swing at anything. You can really put the odds in your favor of catching one of those great companies, whether that's in the private or the public market, because, Investing is investing. That's something me and Ray both talked about. But yeah, I, I think you've kind of answered most of my my selfish questions. I hope the the listeners got something from that too, man. But I'm just as ignorant as, if not more, about the the private sector than most. I, I honestly thought it was something that only millionaires and billionaires could partake in. So definitely appreciative for you dropping some of that knowledge on me, at least for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely, David. Not not a problem. You know, that's why I'm glad. You know, we came together because we're kind of giving two different perspectives. And you're able to ask me the perfect questions. and I'm able to ask you the perfect questions. Yes. And that's huge, you know, not only in the success of the podcast, but the success of the community, you know, because we're all succeeding together. Exactly. And I want to make sure that we're giving them the most bang, you know, for their listening time because, you know, time is very valuable. So we're, we try to keep the podcast, you know, close to 30 minutes. But if we really feel like we're on a roll and we want to get more knowledge out, then we're going to give you what we got. Yeah. So that brings it to my question, David. Okay, uh, what's up? So when it comes to uh, buying or the principles of selling, when it comes to uh, indexes, like what does that process look like and what's the index? Okay, so
1: first an index, we we have, there's there's a ton of indexes, but I'm going to keep it really simple for our listeners. So there's four indexes. U.S. citizens, people invested in U.S. markets really concern themselves with, and they're not all created equal. But so you have the Dow Jones Industrial Index, the S and P five hundred, the Russell two thousand, and the Nasdaq. All right. So the Russell two thousand is mid cap, small cap companies based mainly in America. The S and P five hundred is the five hundred largest companies. The Nasdaq is very tech heavy, a lot of technologies, so through Apple's, Facebook's, Google's, Tesla's, stuff like that. And the Dow Jones thirty is thirty of the largest. Companies, there's only 30 companies on that index okay so they all have different weightings and things like that but index investing when people are primarily talking about that right we're usually going to be invested in an index that tracks the s&p 500 so i hope you guys got your pen and paper ready because i got five indexes that track index funds that track the s&p 500 index all right and these are all Very, very powerful investment vehicles if you buy and hold, okay? So the first one is F-N-I-L-X. It's a mutual index fund offered by Fidelity. The next one is V-O-O. It's Vanguard's S&P 500 ETF. The next one is SPY. That's called the Spiders. That's the closest one you'll get to talking day trading with me on this podcast. And that one is the Spider S&P 500 ETF. There's IVV, that's the iShares core S&P 500 ETF. Then there's Charles Schwab's S&P 500, which is SWPPX. All right, you probably noticed the common theme with those five things. They all track the same index, which is the S&P 500. Okay, so if you want to outperform a market or any other investment vehicle, you buy the S&P 500 on a dollar cost averaging type thing, right? And what the, all dollar cost averaging is, is that you're, you're not really looking to sell. So you're always adding value at particular times. That could be monthly. Let's say you want to invest $100 a month, a month in the S&P or $500 a quarter in the S&P. And if you do that for five years, 10 years, 20 years, you're going to, excuse me, you're going to establish generational wealth for yourself for w- with very little, kind of risk capital per time you buy. In our previous podcast, I kind of walked you through how easy it is to buy and sell a security. So if you currently have a financial planner or if you're just blindly contributing to a Roth IRA or something like that, I would definitely urge you to consider maybe taking more control over your financial your financial path and starting to understand some of these products that you're invested in and why you are invested in. And then if you're not invested in anything, you you have the best opportunity right now cuz you get to start a long-term stock portfolio that will outperform probably any hedge fund any other type of a leveraged index fund any of those things over the long haul so dollar cost averaging is the way i would recommend to anyone that's out there trying to learn how to invest do not become a market timer to learn how to invest or trade if you are interested in trading i was telling Ray earlier, i do have a youtube channel where i talk about more of the day trading stuff and things like that but investing is is such a powerful vehicle right and, and people don't really kind of understand how powerful their dollar is when invested as opposed to being used to consume things okay so but the, but okay. those those five etfs uh they all track the same exact thing they all track the benchmark uh s p 500 that's uh the largest stock index in the world and the returns on that like even if you started here's here's some 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 interesting information if you started investing a week before the market sell off let's say this podcast started in late february the market sold off and you and and you listened to this and it was like oh, I'm going to go buy the BOO or SPY okay it, it collapsed and then your next quarterly dollar cost averaging would have came up and you would have bought more you'd be up 15% year to day if you bought the exact market top Meaning the worst possible time to buy it, and then just waited three months and bought again blindly. You'd be up fifteen percent today. So that's wow. the power of, and that that would require no, none of this day trading stuff. It wouldn't have required you to be become some kind of stock market expert and learn the intricacies. And that's why I recommend the S and P five hundred ETFs, Ray, instead of some of the other ones. It's because it's so huge, there's 500 companies on it that you don't need to become a subject matter expert on any of the companies in it. Yeah, Amazon and stuff is weighted and and, and some of the larger companies, Apple and things like that, have higher weight weightings in them, but it it really just tracks the overall u s. economy, and over the long term, the u s economy always does better year over year. So your job is to catch long-term trends and not concern yourself with every single little dip.
0: Okay. Okay, so wow, that was a lot of information. Um I did have one question, David. So with these indexes, I heard of this term called dividends. Do I get dividends and yes. can I reinvest those dividends and like and how does it work? Okay, so dividends are offered by
1: actual stocks. So the difference between an index fund and a stock, like let's say if you did the same you could do the same strategy with individual stocks. I've just noticed when people do with individual stocks they try to turn into market timers and they end up losing more than they make. Um, so you, you do not receive a dividend, per se, from using uh, from investing in unleveraged uh, ETFs that track uh, U.S. indexes because you're not invested in a company. You're invested in, a, in an index. So you're not going to receive it because an index has a ton of different companies in it. So you're not going to receive a dividend because you're not an individual investor of an individual company. Now, you could do the same thing. You know, This might have to be for a different podcast. And we, we've talked about this offline. Right. You could do the exact same thing with companies instead of with uh, one of these ETFs, or you could buy. I know we talked about this. You, you could buy Apple, that's AAPL. You could buy Berkshire, BRK.A. You could buy JP Morgan, and then you could buy Walmart. And JP, JP Morgan is JPM, and Walmart is WMT. And you could buy those four using the exact same dollar cost averaging set up so you invest $500 in those four companies uh once a quarter or $500 in those four companies uh once a month or once a year and then you would receive the dividends from each of those and and you would have your you'd still have the US economy covered you'd have a tech you'd have a long-term the bellwether company in berkshire you'd have uh, the largest u.s bank in jp morgan and then you'd have a discretionary in walmart and they don't have to be those four but that would kind of want to be your template to building an actual stock portfolio but i feel like we could de- i could dedicate an entire episode to talk about how to build like kind of a defensive yet aggressive stock portfolio for the long haul So i won't i won't get too into that today but that that is certainly another way. But no, to answer your question, where right, you're not going to receive a dividend. You're just going to receive capital gains returns on these because they they go up over the long haul. U.S. markets go up, and I know. Listen, I, I'm I'm declared a day trader, so I trade both sides of the market. I know there may be some people listening. They're like, no, markets go down. It's not safe. It's not safe. But, you know, you just got to think every time people say that, every year markets go down, markets go down. They've closed higher every year for the last 10 years. So if you're waiting for that pullback, you've wasted a decade of not investing and receiving 10 percent annual. I mean, your money would have been doubled doing this strategy over the last 10 years, doing nothing. This is you're clicking a button once every three months or once a month and you're never selling. OK, so and, and that's the power of uh, dollar-cost averaging and investing at any clip. And I think so many people wait for these stock sell-offs to get long. And then what happens, right? The stock sell-off comes, like it did in March. And where are these people that said they were waiting for the pullback? They're running for the hills, right? It's a depression. I lost my job. I can't. Right, So it doesn't make sense to wait on something if you know you're not going to act when it shows up anyway. And if you're not uh, kind of a seasoned investor or a trader, you're not going to respond well to the type of news cycle and the type of price action that's going on in the stock market when there actually is real value. So it just behooves you to go a different route and just invest blindly. I know that sounds very counterproductive, but invest blindly into these large cap index funds that I named, which is FNILX. V-O-O, S-P-Y, I-V-V, SWPPX. you only need to pick one of them i know v-o-o is the most popular with the lowest lowest carry cost so that would be one that's great ivv is great too um, and you just create an investment plan and a simple one would be i'm going to invest five hundred dollars once every three months in v-o-o for the next 10 years Right. Five hundred dollars every three months. You divide that by three. You need to find roughly one hundred and sixty five dollars, one hundred and seventy dollars a month to invest and just stash it away. Just put it in that brokerage account that we talked about opening in the last episode. And it's and it's really that simple. Right. It's really that simple.
0: Okay, great. So what I got from that, thank you so much, David, is basically investing in these indexes basically creates like a stress free. Um, I don't have to worry about it. I kind of have it like a sit and wait type of thing.
1: Completely correct. When you invest in these unleveraged, again, unleveraged uh, index funds, you are completely invested in the U.S. market. You are an investor, so you can call yourself that, but you also don't need to actively track where did the S&P close today? What did the S&P do yesterday? Where's support? Where's resistance? That's not your job. You're trying to catch capture large moves in the market. You're not worried about, you know, things up four points, down four points, up half a percent, down a percent. You want to invest with the confidence of the long term of US markets, which have always traded up. And there's gonna be doom and gloom people. I'm I'm one of them some days when I'm trading on the short side of the market. So there's gonna be doom and gloom people that say this is different this time, it's it's gonna fall, it's never coming back up. And those people were around in March. And had you bought in March, you you would have made forty percent on your returns in three months. So you have to be very, very careful that the markets have inertia, right? They continue to do what they've always done. Excuse me. And US markets rise. It's really that simple, right? So yes, this is a kind of a the simplest way for you to take complete control of your financial future and the stock blindly contributing various retirement accounts that I have, we've spoken about this, right? I have my own opinions about retirement accounts to stop stashing money in a savings account that's yielding Mm 0.1% and to actually take on some real accredited investment in the largest U S stock market while also not having a ton of risk because everyone's usually net net long. So if you do this, over the long term, you will make money. You know, I hate to, you know, you can't guarantee things, but Warren Buffett says it best. If you invest in America for 20 years, you're going to be rich. People just don't want to get rich slow. You know, people ask me all the time, right, about Tesla stock and NIO and all these type of companies. And these are people that don't even have, you know, a savings account or something like that. So they're they're really kind of they're looking for the home run before they even before they even have a bat, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? So yes, this is definitely the most powerful way for someone to learn how to invest and then also develop the correct type of investment discipline.
0: Okay. Excellent. Excellent information, David. Thank you. So I guess kind of like my last few questions, I'll just put them all together. Like, uh okay. how do I monitor like my enthusiasm with the market? And, you know, how do I create even a to be optimistic when things are looking so bad, like what how do I combat those type of emotions that I might experience?
1: OK, so that's the first great questions. And it's something that everyone struggles with, including myself. So when things are looking really great, uh, that, that's usually when you're going to want to temper your enthusiasm. OK, because. Uh, if you're seeing it, so is everyone else. So you're probably getting close to, to something that's not going well. So you shouldn't be really hunting opportunities. That's, again, when investing in the VOO and stuff makes a lot of sense because it removes so much of the decision making for you. And the less decisions you're making as an investor, the better investor you're going to be. Okay. And then when things are looking bad, that's when you want to put your foot on the gas. That's actually when you want to press... And maybe if you're adding $250 a month to to buying a VOO in your Robinhood account or, or whatever it may be, maybe this month you add $500 to VOO this month because that's when you get the exponential growth. You're almost guaranteed on average to make 10% a year investing in the S&P, which is a great return. But when you kind of flip your mindset from going from things are going good, they're always going to get better, to things are going good. Hmm, why is it and then things are going bad they're going to get worse so, wow things are really looking grim right now this could be a great investment opportunity so it's, it's really just about changing the two kind of end states of those feelings so when everything's going well you don't need to become a pessimist or you know, negative just become a little bit more skeptical about what it is you're investing and in, why you're investing in it and that's why this strategy is so powerful because it removes your need to worry and then when things are going bad, that's when if you're using like VOO, I use VOO as an example because it's an ETF that I think is f- phenomenally priced and Vanguard is just a great company. Um, but So if you're invested in something like VOO and things are looking bad like they were in March and April and early May, that's when you may be thinking like, hmm, maybe I'm going to log into my E-Trade or my Robinhood or my TD or my Stash account, whatever the case may be, and buy a little bit more VOO. There's a lot of fear out there right now. I think I want to be invested a little more. And then you start to actually think like an investor, and it's very, very simple. And you'll start to see how easy uh, investing is once you're disciplined and you keep it simple. I think investing gets very difficult once it's complicated and you don't have discipline. That's what scares a lot of people off.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I can definitely agree, you know, at least with some of those strategies, you know, as it relates to the uh, angel market. Um, you know, you don't really have that fluctuation as much. Um, but one thing I would say to be mindful of is a lot of times what you'll see is that the market, the uh, private market for investing might get oversaturated with uh, certain focuses. And what, what I'm trying to say is there was a time where, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrency was oversaturated in the market. And they had a lot of ICOs, which stood for initial coin offering. People got scanned and out of a lot of money. Um, and then, you know, right now what we're in is like this uh, oversaturation of telehealth, you know, having people not necessarily go to uh, the doctor or their primary physician and be able to uh, basically FaceTime the physician and say, this is how I feel, check the box and move on. Now, some of these businesses, they're going to succeed, but a lot of them will fail. You know, it's going to be what they call like the bubble, you know, the, the, the early stages of the Silicon Valley Type of uh, deal would be the social social networking um, or the internet dot com bubble. You know, a lot of businesses just didn't make it and didn't survive. And the only ones that kind of stayed on that had decent economics uh, and had a lot of backing um, from venture capitalists or people who had a personal interest in those businesses. That's that's really interesting.
1: But uh, the 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 key word there was bubbled you know and that kind of speaks to it like when everything seems to be going well that's when you want to definitely uh be a little cautious because if everything is going perfect you know usually the thing that's going to happen is a thing that's unexpected not the thing that is expected so and, and then it's funny that no matter what type of investment vehicle it is it all kind of always ends the same way once everybody is in something there's nowhere for it to go but down so and public and private markets are no different in that respect any more than the real estate market or you know, commercial real estate or mall. Everything's the same in that type of way that once everybody's involved in something, it has to go down. So when you, when you use long-term strategies to build real wealth, you get to avoid that you get to avoid having to worry about something going down or not. And you can depend on the long-term strength of the underlying the underlying entity in this case being the S and P 500 or the private equity markets. And those things have been around in America since the beginning of time, they will be around until the end of time. So completely agree with you.
0: Yeah. Um, thanks again, David. You know, it looks like we're uh, running out of time, but make sure, absolutely, you know, make sure everyone you follow our podcast is money clip podcast, you know, on uh, Twitter, follow us on Instagram uh, and Facebook and uh, go, uh, what was your uh, YouTube again, David? Oh, yeah, the, my YouTube is on strats. that's just
1: Onward Strategies, but with an OnStrat, and I do daily day trading videos, daily videos about uh, kind of the shorter-term trading, which is what I do, but also I'll start making some videos about building stock portfolios and the do's and don'ts of investing, too, if people are interested in that. So, you know, it's all for one, one for all with the Money Clip Podcast. Man, Any information I have will always be made available for free uh, to anyone and everyone that's
0: interested in it. Excellent. And also, if you all had any additional questions, um, be sure to reach out to us through the uh, social media channels and we'll be sure to try to answer all your questions before the end. Of- Once again, thank you for joining uh, the Money Club podcast. Take care.